Welcome back to The Ron Show for Thursday, December 8, 2022 on the America One Radio app at AmericaOneRadio.com. I'm your host, Ron Roberts. Phone number 404-919-2725. Ron at RonShowATL.com. So before I dive into this 52-tweet thread from Lauren Grow Wargo, Stacey Abrams, top aide, it has to be said that without the tireless work of Stacey Abrams, on voter registration, mobilization, organization, that without Stacey's hard work and all of her organizational skills, the uh, Georgia Voter Project, et cetera, and so on, we probably wouldn't even have a Reverend Senator Raphael Warnock and the accomplishments of Senator John Ossoff and Reverend Senator Raphael Warnock in their first two years. And for the next four, plus two for Mr. Warnock, years going forward. We have to thank her for that. We also, or at least I have to admit that it's very painful to see a woman who has worked so hard on behalf of others not be able to crash the glass ceiling. We saw that in 2016. It was a crushing defeat for both Hillary Clinton and for women to not crash that glass ceiling, especially with someone on the ticket so utterly ill-prepared and underwhelming and ill-fit for the job. It's just, it was a gut punch. And I'm sure that as close as she came in 2018, losing by a larger margin in 2022 really had to suck because the momentum, you would presume, was there. It really sucks, too. When you think about it, when Jason Carter tried to unseat Nathan Deal, he actually came closer years ago than Stacey Abrams did in an era where it's perceived that Georgia is a purple state. I believe it's a reddish purple. Some people think it's a periwinkle. I tend to think it's still closer to being a GOP state. Safe, but leaning inward, midward. Anyway, Lauren Grow Wargo wrote a 52-tweet thread. Could have been an article. I don't know why she didn't just blog this, but anyway, here goes some of it. Lauren, by the way, is a white female working for an African-American female candidate. Black Georgians have again delivered a runoff win for Democrats. What Stacey Abrams created to lift up voters of color, defend democracy, and help other leaders became a launching pad for some in her millstone weighing down her numbers and costing her the election of 2022. In 2018, Stacey Abrams defied history and changed politics in the South and across the country after a 10-year plan, and I was by her side. That winter coming off her historic and close run for governor, Leader Schumer started courting Stacey Abrams to run for Senate. In the conversation, and I was there for nearly all of them, he was convinced she was the only one who could win. By his own admission, Schumer went very hard for Stacy. Stacy and I had been working together for years to turn Georgia blue, and we had to really consider what he laid out, even though Stacy had never wanted to go to Congress. Through the conversations, I got to know Schumer's fantastic chief of staff, who launched his own campaign to persuade me as well as why Stacy should do it. It was an impressive pitch and flattering, but ultimately I knew Stacy wouldn't do it. She understood that because as much attention focused on the federal government, the importance of governors was too often overlooked. 
running for governor had always been about how to change the lives of families in the South. She remained committed to doing everything in her power to turn the state blue and leverage the power of the Georgia governor's office for the good of the people of the state after years of disastrous Republican policies. When Stacey finally declined to run for Senate, she proposed an alternative leader who would stand up for all Georgians if elected, her friend Raphael Warnock. Stacey told Schumer clearly Warnock could win, and she would do everything in her power to see that through. But he promised to hold her to her commitment, and we made a plan right away that Stacey would endorse Warnock quickly after he announced. This would be where I point out, by the way, why now? Why is this tweet thread coming out now? Just two days after the run? Why now? It's almost self-congratulatory. I don't know. Anyway, back to the tweet thread. And this is tweet number 10 of 52. This gave Schumer the cover he needed to get the DSCC, the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee, to endorse early in the exceedingly rare special election, multi-candidate jungle election. Georgia already had one Senate race with no clear frontrunner on the Democratic side at that point, so this second shot had to be done just right. These early endorsements were crucial to Warnock's success. Warnock wasn't in politics and thus didn't have political donor lists, staffers ready to go, or any infrastructure. With Stacey endorsement, Fair Fight followed suit, and as CEO, I immediately dove in. We in-kinded donor and political lists along with staff time for everything from communication support to finding his nascent team office space and making sure he had an effective launch with the DSCC team, all within the contribution limits and maximizing Fair Fight and Stacey's social media platforms. The DSCC endorsed shortly after Stacey and Fair Fight, bringing its massive institutional fundraising, political and technical support to bear. During the early months of the Warnock campaign, full of late-night calls, political and fundraising support for his bid, there was a presidential primary underway. Stacey intentionally stayed out of the contest as an endorser because she knew we needed national infrastructure to contend with the voter suppression apparatus that GOP had already put into practice in Georgia and nationwide. Thus, her priority was building out Fair Fight's voter protection effort dubbed Fair Fight 2020 in all the battleground states that engaged all the presidential candidates, Democratic governors, secretaries of state, attorneys general, national committees, and state parties. This meant raising millions of dollars and convincing America and the press that voter suppression was real and present danger and putting in place the mitigation strategy and tactics in key states. The millions of dollars in staffing and technical support Fair Fight built created the voter protection infrastructure in the primaries that the eventual nominee would use in the general election. Biden's team turned our 20-state model into the election protection defense necessary to ensure citizens could vote and Biden could win in the fall. Okay, congratulations. That's good. This is all this is all fantastic. To do this, we're at tweet 21 of 52, by the way. Stacy leveraged her prominence to raise the funds needed for this work and to educate Americans on how Trumpian voter suppression works in the age of Brian Kempian Jim Crow 2.0 tactics, from restricting vote by mail, lengthening lines, impeding registration, and convincing people that it's all just their imagination. As we worked to build out this infrastructure, Biden became the nominee. Stacy went through the rigorous VP vet while also stumping for a fair 2020 census that was also part of the GOP strategy to retake the House. So true. Although she wasn't chosen for VP, Anita Dunn and General Malley Dillon approached us about Stacy being a major surrogate for the Biden campaign. 
in our first Zoom, the immediate question we had was, if Stacy did this, traveling the country during COVID and doing radio call-ins and more into traditional battleground states, would they invest in Georgia? It was clear they weren't planning on it, but Stacy said she would only consider being a surrogate if Georgia would receive real investment that would put the state in play. We asked them to commit to spending $25 million in Georgia. After several calls and Zooms, they came back with a pledge of $15 million and sent along a draft of their media budget for me to review. Okay, sorry. Had to grab a little drink here real quick. We're at tweet 27 of 52. Uh, Laura continues, I gave them the thumbs up and Stacy started her intensive rounds championing the Biden-Harris ticket. In the midst of the COVID epidemic, she was one of their most impactful surrogates and was utilized in media markets across the country. In fact, we learned after Biden and Jill, Harris and Doug, Stacy was the only surrogate, save the Obamas, who would reliably get press in any market in the country. She traveled to Nevada, throughout Florida, North Carolina, dialed into dozens of radio markets, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Florida, North Carolina, national, joined dozens of Zooms for campaign events for the president's bid, while also campaigning for Ossoff, Warnock, and Biden across Georgia. Through all of this, she attracted the increasing attention and hate of the right. Laura's not wrong there. Their disinformation network seized on her arguments, leveraged their side's racism and sexism. She's not wrong there. And began a targeted campaign to discredit her analysis and boost their harmful theories. A vicious onslaught of lies and smears against her arguments that voter suppression was real and that voters of color could change the outcome of elections. Tweet 34. Over the course of 2020, right-wing disinformation sites and articles that used her name were more likely to go viral. In my work at Fair Fight, I learned she was the top most utilized Democrat the right was using in these anti-voter, anti-democracy spaces. The right's unrelenting attack and usage of Stacey poisoned her image and weaponized her across dif- disinformation vehicles to spread their message. We're at tweet 36 in the home stretch. They kept at it and grew their efforts against her in 2022 in concert with mainstream Republican political committees like the RGA, that is the Republican Governors Association, and the Kim campaign with Republican media outlets like Fox, Newsmax, and more. In the end, Stacey leveraged her time, talents, and organization to secure the wins of 2020 in the major battleground states, as well as Georgia, in 2020 and in 2021. In doing so, she also made the 2022 gubernatorial race against a well-funded incumbent nearly impossible. That is tweet 37. The chaos of the Trump outcome had calcified Kemp, falsely, as a moderate to the media and to voters, and the right drove her negatives sky high in 2020 and 2021, and then leveraged their national, mainstream, and far-right media in the gubernatorial race to great effect. Mainstream media ignored Kemp's hard-right policies and questioned her advocacy on behalf of voters. In November, the white voters who had supported her work in 2018 and 2020 balked at giving her the job of governor because Kemp wasn't, quote, that bad and she had been tarnished by the unrelenting assault. It has been a long and challenging road. That is Tweet 40. And I'm going to put a pin in that because if you listen to this show from the inception, and and really it's been, what, nine weeks, Uh, 10 weeks? I'm losing count. Um, I actually said that that was going to be the case in a lot of measures. That, I mean, I said this weeks before the election, weeks before the election, that Brian Kemp was going to get a pass for not being that bad when we just came out of a Trump presidency with the Steve Bannons and the Stephen Millers 
the Laura Ingrams and the Sean Hannity, these just disgusting, vile people, and Donald himself, who's, you know, no Boy Scout, Brian Kemp looks like a pretty nice guy in comparison, right? So if you're a non-marginalized voter, you're probably going to give him a pass. And I think the Kemp campaign used to perfection his gamble on reopening the state early in the throes of COVID. It worked out for him. It was a gamble, but it worked out for him. And I don't think the Abrams campaign had an answer for that tactic, that sales pitch, soon enough. Hey, if Laura's going to give herself credit here, I'm going to give myself some credit too. I'm just saying. Let me pat myself on the back. I saw that coming. I am profoundly grateful to the Abrams 2018 and 2022 campaign teams that brought our state the chance for change and had the coattails for many wins in the state legislature both years and laid critical groundwork for Senate wins. I'm proud of the many Georgia organizations whose staffs have been sprinting nonstop for years to change the state, to turn out the vote and fight voter suppression, advocate for critical issues and go toe to toe with dangerous members of the conspiracy laden far right. I'm grateful to the larger democratic and progressive infrastructure of door knockers, volunteers, campaign workers, leaders, organizers, and supporters that I've poured myself into building for so many years with countless other leaders and organizers. To all the people who have been fighting for and with Georgians who have the faith and belief that the South is worth fighting for and have been showing up to do that very work in big and small ways every single day. I am relieved and happy today that my friend Raphael Warnock will be in the Senate for a full term with John Ossoff and that our state is finally officially permanently seen as a battleground. Team Georgia is strong, vibrant, and a force to be reckoned with. It's a network and infrastructure of incredible people and know-how that will continue to pay dividends for the people of Georgia for many years to come. But my heart is broken too. That after all the years of work and sacrifice, Brian Kemp, whose positions on the issues are indistinguishable from Herschel Walker, anti-abortion, anti-gun, safety, anti-democracy, and more, remains governor in part due to Stacey leaving it all on the field in the 2020 cycle. But as Stacey said in her concession speech, the fight goes on. There's so much work to do for a Georgia where hope lives in the heart of every child, but it sits there, rests there, along with opportunity because we invested in quality public education, a pathway to a life full of dignity, and no shooters in their schools. A Georgia where every person can not only afford to see a doctor, but that there's a hospital if they need one. They can get their prescriptions filled because drug companies and insurance companies aren't able to block it and because we've expanded Medicaid. Because half a million Georgians deserve access to health care in this state. That is why we fight. That was Tweet 52, ending a quote from Stacey Abrams in her concession speech. Lauren Groh Wargo is not wrong about much that she writes. I just question the timing of this release, although I imagine it weighed on her and she was waiting to unearth all that after the Senate runoff. I also happen to think that while there's a lot to be grateful for and proud of uh, in their work, And in the campaign, there also has to be some introspection on what didn't go right. Misstatements and decisions that were made in error or in hindsight would have gone differently. Stacey's story is not all that dissimilar to Hillary Clinton's. Years of demonization turned her into a perceived monster to those in the center and right. The Republicans got away with that once again. And it tends to affect women more than it does male targets. Curious. 
I will share this entire unrolled thread, by the way, so you can just read it in its entirety without tapping through tweets at ronshowatl.com. Back after this. 